podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. It is Monday, the 15th of March, and we are brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. That's a virtual privacy network. Allows you to go online, change your location, access American Netflix if you're not in the US, use your Now TV if you're outside the UK. Also keeps your data safe online. LibertyShield.com, use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. And we're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide, homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Right, folks, nine games over the weekend, but the biggest news comes from Sheffield. It broke just after we finished recording this podcast on Friday that Chris Wilder was, in fact, to leave Sheffield United. We didn't get the official announcement until Saturday. It was very strange. It, it seemed to drag on quite a while. I assume it was, you know, the minutiae of the, the severance package and things like that. Uh, Paul Heckenbottom um, chosen as the replacement until the end of the season, which to me is a little bit defeatist. I don't understand why they wouldn't say, you know, he's just a caretaker until we find somebody else, why they would specify till the end of the season and not immediately begin their search for somebody that can take over. And if they can get somebody in before the end of the season, maybe that gives players a boost. Maybe that gives the club a bit of a lift, gives them more of a chance to properly assess the squad and understand what they're going to need in the summer because it's a big job. But there are managers out there. I mean, could... Could they maybe go for Slavin Bilic, who's got a track record of keeping, oh, oh, sorry, of bringing teams up? He's in China at the moment, but I, I do think Slavin Bilic would return to England for a job like Sheffield United. Chris Wilder won't be able to work for long. That's a fact. There's, I would imagine he will have offers within the next couple of weeks. Crystal Palace look like they'll change manager at the end of the season. So that's a possibility. Newcastle may well change manager at the end of the season. They might like to change manager now. Chris Wilder would make sense for either club. I think he'd be ideal for Celtic. If I'm making decisions at Celtic, I'm calling Chris Wilder this week and saying, look, when you're ready to talk, make sure we're your first phone call. They've brought in... um, Jason Tindall at Sheffield United to be the assistant to Heckenbottom, which is strange because Alan Nil, the assistant manager to Wilder, is still there. Now, I'd imagine he's just still there until Wilder gets sorted, and I think he'll go with him, but it's unusual that he's been, you know, overlooked for the job. Maybe the thought process was if Wilder gets something between now and the end of the season, he's going to bring him with him, and then we're, we're in trouble again. 
the weekend did not go well for Sheffield United. We'll get to their game. The first game was Friday night. It was Newcastle against Aston Villa. It was a decent game of football. There was, you know, good chances on both sides. Both keepers made some good saves. Ollie Watkins caused a lot of trouble for that Newcastle backline. Newcastle without their front, their normal front three, did struggle a little bit. But we still saw some good football played. And Jolington, other than his his inability to finish, he's a good player. Like there's a player there that you could make something of if you use him correctly. If you put Jolington in a situation like Firmino's at Liverpool, where you put a goal scorer on either side of him in a front three, which is what he had at Hoffenheim, I think you get a real player with him. Now, I don't know that he's a a top four or a top six player, but he's certainly better than what we've seen from him at Newcastle. Villa went uh, 1-0 up. It was Watkins' clipped shot that was deflected uh, by Kieran Clark past Dubravka on 86. And Newcastle, at that point, decided to just go hell for leather. Uh, they almost scored. They hit the post. And then Jamal Lachelle's equalized uh, in the 94th minute with a really, really powerful header to um, to finish things off. He had missed a good chance just before that. He's a good player as well. Jamal Lachelle's, unfortunately, needed to move away from Newcastle a few years ago. He's kind of been dragged down by the Mike Ashleyness of of the whole thing and Steve Bruce and everything else that's gone on at the tune. But if you go back to the last World Cup, Jamal Lachelle's absolutely should have been in the England squad, as should John Joe Shelby. His career has also taken a dip. And it shows that there is talent at Newcastle. Even without the front three, they're still putting out a decent eleven. Emil Kraft is a good player. Lachelle's is good. Dubravka's good. All three to start in midfield. Willock, Shelby and Hayden. And I know Willock's on loan. But they're all good players. Ryan Fraser's a good player. Newcastle could play a far better brand of football than they do. Especially when they have Almiron and St. Maximin available to them. Uh, and Jamal Lewis, of course, the, the normal left back, left out for this game in place of Paul Dummett, who, with respect, is a championship-level player and should not be playing ahead of Jamal Lewis. But, you know, Jacob Murphy's there. He's a good player as well. Federico Fernandez is a solid player. Javi Manquillo is a solid player. Both Longstaffs are good, Sean in particular. There's definitely better players at Newcastle than what Steve Bruce is, is showing them to be. And it's disappointing that they play this brand of football because they could play a more adventurous, more attacking brand. And if you were to consider the possibility of Chris Wilder going there for a second, and you think of perhaps he'd go Mankeo and, and Lewis as his, as his wingbacks, Lachelle's in that middle centre-back role. Kraft to the right. Don't think he has an ideal. He doesn't really have the ideal left footer to play that left-sided role for himself. But that's one position that he'd need to buy for. He likes his midfield three. You'd imagine Shelby, 
Hayden or Longstaff could play that Ollie Norwood role. Probably needs a box-to-box midfielder. Maybe someone with a bit more creativity to play on the left side. I think the right-sided role, Matty Longstaff, in that John Lundstrom role, Matty Longstaff, for me, would be a great fit. If you went Sean Longstaff and Matty Longstaff in those two roles, and then you're just looking to buy one in midfield. And up front, you know, they need a goal scorer. It's It's been a problem. They've They've obviously had Callum Wilson this season when he's been fit. If he stays fit, he's absolutely ideal. You could play him. You could play Jolington. You could play St. Maximum as a partner for him. Almiron as a partner. Almiron could fit in that third midfield role as that creator, that John Fleck role. That might get the best from Almiron. Play him a little bit deeper, get him more involved in the build-up play, allow him to carry the ball. I don't think Newcastle would need a whole lot to pull off Wilder's system. I think one left-footed centre-back, and you're probably good. One left-footed centre-back probably does the, 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 does the job. Mankio, Lewis, Kraft, Lachelles, the Longstaffs. You'd still have Hayden and Shelby. You could argue Hayden's the best of the midfielders, and maybe he's the one that sits in the deepest role. Maddie Longstaff, Almiron, and the two boys up front at maximum, and um, and Wilson, with Jolington as a rotation option. I think Wilder would get the most out of those players. I think that's what he does. He ekes every little bit out of players. Like, he took players that were fairly run-of-the-mill in League One and proved them to be competent Premier League players. Not this season, admittedly, but last season they finished ninth. They were in the top six for periods of the season. On the flip side, Aston Villa last night, uh, Friday night, showing, you know, that they've got some, some depth but also some issues. Without Grealish, they look a little bit one-track. They don't have anyone else really capable of opening up a game. Uh, Ross Barkley's obviously out of form, so it's not him doing it at the moment. I do like the look of Jacob Ramsey, but I don't think he's that type of player. They had a very, a very pacey three in attack, Traore, Watkins, and Trezeguet, but nobody to really unlock things for them. So it was a lot of aimless running in behind. Their their weakness is the left side of their defence. Tyron Ming and Matt Target. Target's not bad. Ming is, is poor. He is outright poor. Jamal Lachelles, for example, is a better defender than him. Ming's looks the part. But he's not very good. Jolington had him on roller skates multiple times. A 1-1 draw was a fair reflection on this game. And it helps Newcastle. It keeps Villa in the top half. They're ninth. Toon are two points clear of, of Fulham. And they have a game in hand on Fulham. So that is important to them. Unfortunately for them, Brighton won at the weekend. And Burnley won at the weekend. So it does leave them still in that mix. Uh, but three three draws in a row is a nice turnaround after what had been a very, very bad run of games. Next up, they've got Brighton away. Massive game. Absolutely massive game for both teams. Then it's Tottenham at home, Burnley away, West Ham at home. 
and Liverpool away. And you would expect that by the 24th of April, Liverpool will have copped themselves on. So this is a really tough run for Newcastle. And that Brighton game is huge. Because if Brighton beat them, then all of a sudden it's a four-point gap. And then they go into that other run of games, which are very, very difficult. Tottenham, you don't know what Tottenham you'll get, but talent-wise, you'd expect them to overcome Newcastle. Burnley away is always going to be tough, unless you're a top-four team, in which case it's a fairly easy outing. Uh, West Ham, obviously, the surprise of the season, they're challenging for top-four still. Um, And then Liverpool, who, like I say, should have copped themselves on by then. It's not looking good for Newcastle. It really is not looking good for Newcastle. And if they go down, they're in major trouble. Because you'd imagine the likes of St. Maximum, Almiron, Wilson, Jolington, players like like Shelby, Longstaff, these lads are going to have relegation clauses. Either relegation release clauses where they can go for, you know, low fees below what you paid for them. Or they'll have relegation clauses in their contracts regarding wages. And they won't be all that keen on taking big pay cuts to drop down. Not unless the manager situation gets changed. I'm surprised Bruce is still in the job. There's been some talk that perhaps they can't afford to get rid of him at the moment. Um, There was an interesting piece in the Sheffield Wednesday accounts, like I mentioned on Friday that perhaps they paid six and a half million in compensation to get him from, from the Owls. If that's the case, I mean, that is just, that's shocking. Absolutely shocking. Apparently they wanted Wilder at that time as well. Couldn't get him, so went for Bruce. I'd be really concerned if I was a Newcastle fan, genuinely. Uh, Villa, stay in ninth, back-to-back draws. Their form, as, as, as I've said before, it's been uneven this calendar year, but it, from where they were last year to where they are now is is a really, really good turnaround by Dean Smith. Um, Tottenham at home next, then Fulham at home, then away to Liverpool, at home to Manchester City, and at home to West Brom. So four of the next five at home. Some difficult games, obviously, Tottenham and and City will be difficult. They'll expect to beat Fulham. They'll expect to beat West Brom. The Liverpool game could go either way. But again, it's a way and it's... You'd hope that Liverpool have to... Well, I hope that Liverpool will have themselves sorted out post-international break. But there's still two very, very winnable games in that group. Plus that Tottenham game. I think Villa can beat them at home. They can take nine points from those three games, those five games rather. That probably should secure them a top half finish for this season. Because everybody else is a bit of a mess right now. And the teams in the bottom half, starting with Palace, I mean, Palace are getting close to where they'll finish points wise. They've got maybe six to eight points more that they'll pick up over the season. Leeds. You know, they're hugely inconsistent as all newly promoted teams are, but you don't imagine they'll get much more than 45, 46 points. Wolves have the potential to, but 
their season's been very disappointing. And I don't see anyone below that. If Villa can secure themselves, you know, 47 to 50 points, that's going to finish them top half. Um, Moving on into Saturday. The weekend started with what I thought was going to be a really exciting game. Turned out to be a bit of a snoozer. Leeds against Chelsea, nil-nil. Both sides had some chances. Chelsea dominated the ball. Leeds had the better chances. Uh, Mendy made two very, very good saves. One from Rafinha. One from Tyler Adams. Chelsea's struggles to score are interesting because they have so much attacking talent that it's surprising how little goal threat they actually pose. Um, Didn't think much of Hakim Ziyech's performance, if I'm being honest. He's really disappointed this season. He had a couple of flashes. He played really well against Sheffield United, I think it was. But he's been hugely disappointing this season. Didn't think Pulisic played all that well. Didn't think Mount played all that well. Wasn't overly impressed with Jorginho either. Thought Kante had a very good game in the middle of the park. Got through an awful lot of running, which he needed to do to keep track with that Leeds midfield that just go and go and go. But Chelsea, again, they look solid defensively. They're very one-ended at the moment. Like everything, they've solved their defensive problem. The attack just hasn't clicked. And it, it comes down to coaching. They weren't getting any proper coaching for the first half of the season. They've been managed by a PE teacher. But I like this Kai Havertz as the false nine move. It was the first time we've seen Tuchel do anything other than the back three as well. He went with a 4-2-3-1. Havertz as a a full-on nine with three behind him. I liked what I saw from Havertz. He had a couple of decent moments in the game. He's still learning that position. It'll take time. But I do think that's where he should play long term. Then you figure out how to get players around him. I think Pulisic and Werner... Either side of them, either in 3-4-3 or 4-3-3. If it's 3-4-3, I think you then start to figure out who's your two midfielders. You've got your wingbacks. James and Chilwell will be the long-term picks there. If it's 4-3-3, again, James and Chilwell work. You move Mount into one of the midfield positions. I think Kovacic into one of them. And you go and you find yourself a holding midfielder. They'll need a holding midfielder this summer anyway. I think that has to be priority number one for them. And then probably a centre-back as well. Andreas Christensen's been excellent. Rudiger is looking more like Rudiger from a couple of years ago. But I still think they'll need a centre-back, even if it's a back, like a, a two-man centre-back pairing. I'd still want better than Rudiger. If I was them, I wouldn't, I wouldn't turn my nose up at Joachim Anderson, who's currently on loan at Fulham. If Fulham go down, he'd be worth grabbing play him and Christensen they know each other from the Danish setup I think both of them have big potential I think they'd fit how Tuchel wants to play they're both quite conservative and that's not a bad thing in a team that's going to be quite adventurous overall Uh, coming up next for Leeds they've got Fulham away they don't travel well to London so wouldn't expect much Then they get Sheffield United at home. Then it's a tough run. It's Man City away. It's Liverpool at home. It's Manchester United at home. That is is going to be difficult for Leeds. But as they've shown all season, they don't care about reputation. They don't care about expectation. 
they will turn up, they'll try and play their game, and they'll try and outwork you. And it wouldn't surprise me if they picked up some points in those games. But the next two are the two they can win. Despite not travelling well to London, they could beat Fulham. I think it's a very even game. I think if Fulham, if Bielsa had managed Fulham all season, I think they'd be above where Leeds are. Because I think they've got more talent. Scott Parker holds them back a little bit. Despite the good run of late, Sheffield United at home is a game they have to win. I'm struggling to see where Sheffield United get points from between now and the end of the season. That's a game Leeds have to win. For Chelsea, obviously they stay fourth. Um, They're five points behind Leicester, but they are now three points ahead of West Ham with a game in hand. So they'll be confident that top four is in their grasp. They've got a better goal difference than West Ham as well. Uh, Up next for them, They've got Atletico Madrid in the week in the Champions League. They've got Sheffield United in the FA Cup next weekend. Then league-wise, they've got West Brom at home, Palace away, Brighton at home, West Ham away, and Fulham at home. That is a five-game run where Chelsea should, should win at least four of them. West Ham away will be very difficult. But the other four, West Brom at home, Palace away, Brighton at home, Fulham at home, they're all games Chelsea should win. And there's going to come a game where they absolutely wallop somebody. They're going to score five or six past somebody because they have too much talent and they're playing too well as a unit for it not to just click someday and work. Chelsea are a fair bet for top four right now. Now, their last four games are difficult. Man City away, Arsenal at home, Leicester at home, and Aston Villa away. Those are all difficult games. But the next five is where they can secure themselves a top four finish. Uh, Moving on, Crystal Palace won West Brom nil. Expected to be a snoozer was actually quite exciting at times. West Brom dominated the game. They had loads of opportunities, couldn't get anything on target but came really close a couple of times. Um, there's good players in that West Brom team. None of them play in defence. Darnell Furlong gave away a stupid, stupid penalty, leaning to try and chest or shoulder the ball. He didn't need to go anywhere near it. Catches his arm. Penalty. Milivojevic makes it look so easy. Ben um, Benteke had one or two half-decent chances for Palace, but... Overall, I did think West Brom were the better team, the more threatening team. I really would have liked to have seen Grady Diangana start instead of Matt Phillips, because I think that front six could have been interesting. I'd like to see them try and start Diangana and Carlin Grant as the two. Um, it's interesting that Big Sam seems to have shelled Diangana and Grant. Considering they're going to be there next season, all going, all, all, all things being likely. Um, whereas Gallagher, Maitland, Niles, Yukuzlu, and uh, Dianya, they're they're almost certainly not. They're all lone players, and he's got them forming the core of his team. The defense remains fairly average. I've seen some suggestions that uh, that Johnston could be off in the summer. The goalkeeper. I'm not sure who's buying him. I really am not sure who's buying him. 
Uh, when you concede 57 goals in a Premier League season after 29 games, you're probably not all that good. You're probably, you can make loads of saves because you've got loads of opportunities to make saves. But he's let in a lot of soft goals this year. He wouldn't be for me. And I'd be surprised if a Premier League club comes in for him. Because looking up and down the league, I'm struggling to see a team with a goalkeeper worse than him. Fulham have a better goalkeeper. Newcastle have a better goalkeeper. You could make an argument for Brighton, though their goalkeeper's now in the in the Spain squad. Uh, Burnley have a better keeper. Saints have a better keeper. Wolves, Leeds, Arsenal, Villa, Liverpool, Tottenham. Unless Palace decide to have a look at him, I just don't see it. For me, him and Aaron Ramsdale are the two worst keepers in the league, and I wouldn't touch either of them. Um, for Palace, they're 11th now, so they'll be happy. Everton away next, then Chelsea at home, then Southampton away, Leicester away, and then Man City at home. It is a difficult run for Palace. As I said, wouldn't expect a whole bunch more points from them this year. Somewhere between six and eight is probably, you know, Hodgie's utopia. Uh, they do have Sheffield United away on the 8th of May. That's likely a win. I think they might beat Villa at home. If they pick up maybe a draw in between, that'll be 44 points right in the sweet spot for Hodgie. I think that's about their season. Um, wouldn't expect a whole lot more. Hodgson doesn't have the ambition to do anything else. I saw I saw Ben Foster on some podcast on YouTube, the Happy Air podcast on YouTube, and uh, he referred to Hodgson as a legend while berating Fabio Capello, who's one of the greatest managers of all time. And understandably so, given the story, but then he referred to Hodgson as a legend. Said Steve McLaren was a top manager. I mean, Hodgson's a legend if you enjoy mid-table mediocrity. I don't know that he's much more than that. England were mediocre under him. West Brom and Fulham and now Palace, they've all been mediocre under him. He was a disaster at Blackburn. I'm not sure how he's attained legend status other than by sticking around for so long. He was a disaster at Liverpool. Didn't do great with, with uh, Finland. Poured into Milan. Poured Udinese. I'm not really sure how you would classify Roy Hodgson as a legend. The early part of his career, when he was in Sweden, Switzerland, sure, maybe. His first spell in England, Bristol City, disaster. Blackburn, disaster. Mediocre team at Fulham. Got them to Europe, uh, UEFA Cup final, admittedly. But they were mediocre. With the money they'd spent, mediocre at West Brom. And then Palace. 34% win percentage at Palace. 37 at, at West Brom. 39 at Fulham. Really, like He won a higher percentage of his games at Liverpool in a spell that was 
a nightmare for all Liverpool fans and he got sacked after six months than he has at any of those other three jobs. I'm really not sure how he could be classified as a legend. Won a bunch of Swedish league titles in the 70s and 80s. Won a Danish title in 2000. And that's pretty much his lot. No, I tell a lie. He won the Swedish fourth division. Legend? Really? The sooner Palace move on, the better. For West Brom, things look very, very bleak. It's hard to see how they stay up. They're eight points off safety. Sorry, they're ten points off safety. They're eight points off Fulham. I think we can say good night and God bless to them and Sheffield United. Uh, their next run of games, Chelsea away, Southampton at home, Leicester away, Villa away, and Wolves at home in the derby. That is, it's very, very difficult. Other than Southampton at home, there's not a game there you'd really fancy them in. And their last four are horrible as well. Arsenal away, Liverpool at home, West Ham at home, and Leeds away. Thanks for coming, West Brom. It has been emotional. I'm curious to see who they'll go for next. If Wilder wants a project and doesn't want a Premier League job or you know doesn't get offered a Premier League job, maybe, maybe that's the club for him. They'd need some pieces for sure. But there's a lot of talent there even with the lone players that you'd expect to leave. But I still think he'd find, I think still think he'd bring in a couple of good lone players. Conor Gallagher might be able to stay. He was on loan in the championship last season. There was talk of a championship loan again this season. Then it was Palace and then he ended up at West Brom. But if Chelsea don't have a real plan for him, which they don't seem to have, then you know, maybe he'd be willing to say that he seems quite happy there. They'd need a couple in midfield. Holding midfielder for sure. Pereira could maybe play that John Fleck role. Um, maybe you play Diangana and Grant up front. Pace. Pace would be very, very handy in the championship. Um, their defense is a mess though. So I don't know. I, I, I don't see it as been a possibility. It's one that's been mooted in the last couple of days, but I just don't see it as been a possibility, really. I think you'd have to hope that nobody else was in for him. Because otherwise, he's going to have better options, and there's going to be teams that are in need of less rebuilding than that West Brom team. Because, again, the defense is just... I mean, to call it hopeless would be to give it too much praise. It really would. Um... Uh, next up, Everton won Burnley 2. Burnley started this game really well and, for my money, outplayed Everton. I thought they created the better chances, played the better football. I thought Everton were really poor in this game. Chris Wood put them 1-0 up. Then Dwight McNeil scored a contender for goal of the season. Lovely bit of play. Coming in off the right-hand side, finding a pocket of space, beat a man with ease and curled a beautiful shot into the top corner. Dwight McNeil, for me, could play for pretty much any team in the league. For a top team, I think he could play left back or in central midfield. I think he's got the engine. I think he's got the defensive nous. He's so good technically. 
He's a powerful player. He's not the fastest player, but he is quick. He's a very powerful runner, and he's hard for defenders to deal with. I do think he's going to get offers this summer. Now, Burnley, we know, will hold out for their value, and that's fine. And I don't think he's in a rush to leave either. But he's a very, very talented player who I think can go and play for pretty much anybody. Um, Everton did pull one back, Calvert-Lewin. A good header from a Tom Davies cross. But I did just feel like Burnley were the better team. I thought they really deserved this win. Credit to Sean Dyche. He got his game plan spot on. Um, Everton went with that diamond in midfield. It didn't really function all that well. Burnley's flat 4-4-2 just outplayed them. Simple as that. Um, Up next for Burnley, who currently sit in 15th with a four-point gap from them to Brighton and now level on points with uh, Southampton, is Southampton themselves. Um, So that is going to be a, a good game of football. I think that's a game Burnley can win. Then they get Newcastle at home. Then they go to Old Trafford. You wouldn't put a pass them to pull a point out of that one. Then they get Wolves away, then West Ham at home. It's not the easiest run of games for sure, but I do think there's maybe four to six points they can pick up in the next two games. That sets them up, and if they can pick up maybe two points in the other three, that'll put them in a good position. Their end of the season's not bad. They've got Fulham away, Leeds at home, Liverpool at home, and Sheffield United away. Burnley are going to be fine. Said it all season, Sean Dyche is one of the best managers in the league. They weren't going down despite the bad start, even with no investment in this in the club in the summer window or in January. Burnley under Dyche will always be fine. The questions will start if he leaves this summer. And he's one that Newcastle could well want because he'll get the most out of players, won't want or won't need huge investment. Now I think he'd want some backing to take the job. But Sean Dyche will keep you in the Premier League pretty much every season. That's what he does. He's he's a very, very good manager who gets the most out of players. For Everton, I had such hopes on this season. I really did. I, I did think they were capable of top four. They're currently sixth. They're five points off Chelsea and fourth. They do have a game in hand, but we've seen them have games in hand and, and bottle them uh, on multiple occasions this season. Uh, They've just lost too many games. It's the truth of it. They've got Man City in the FA Cup next. Then they go Crystal Palace at home, Brighton away, uh, sorry, Tottenham at home, Arsenal away, and Aston Villa at home in the FA Cup. That Aston Villa game is that game in hand. Um, Palace and Brighton are games they should win. Even Brighton away. It's a game they should win. They're better than Brighton. They have the best players. They should go and win that game. The North London teams will be tough, but Tottenham is at home. So again, that's a game they should be looking to win. And Aston Villa at home is a game they should be looking to win. Arsenal away is the most difficult game, but Arsenal are a Jekyll and Hyde team. You don't know what one's going to turn up. Their last four isn't that bad either, other than the last day of the season where they've got City away. But City will have the title well wrapped up by then. So City may be focused in on a Champions League final at that point. They still have an outside shot of top four, but I think they just need to make sure they get Europe. Make sure you get a European position based on this season. You've gone too far not to. What's held them back has been their defence. They've got the worst defence in the top four. 
I've heard Everton fans say that Michael Keane or Mick Keggers, which they insist on calling him, which is one of the worst nicknames I've ever heard, has been awesome this season. He has not. He has not. Mason Holgate and Ben Godfrey, the two best defenders of that football club. That should be your starting pairing next season. Luca Dina at left back. You need to buy a right back. You need to buy a goalkeeper. And you need to buy one in midfield. And other than that, you're probably fine. If you want to add a couple of depth pieces here and there, fair enough. But they need three starters. They need a goalkeeper because Pickford is poor. He got hurt in this game. They need a right back because Coleman has passed his best. And they need a third one in midfield. They've got Decoury. They've got Alan. They need a third one to go with them. Decoury's obviously been injured recently. Tom Davies has been starting. And I like Tom Davies. I think he's a good player. I think if you've got Davies and Gabaman as depth options and Andre Gomes. Andre Gomes, of course. That's fine. Get a third starter. Then you'll have six good midfielders for three positions. And then you're absolutely fine. They have missed James Rodriguez. He's obviously missed quite a few games this season through a variety of niggles and knocks. And you see why his career hasn't gone why his career hasn't gone the way it should have gone. He's so gifted and talented, but you know, he's missed, I think, eleven prem ten Premier League games this season. Only played twenty one games in all competitions. He's been really, really good when he's played. He just can't stay fit. And this is not a this season problem. This is a a frequent problem for Hammers. Last season, he played 14 games in all competitions. In the two seasons he played at Bayern, he played 23 league games and 20 league games. Now, that first season, he did play pretty much every Champions League game, so they were holding him back in some league games. And remember, the Bundesliga has four games less. But the second season, only 28 star, uh, 28 games in all competitions, only 20 in the league. you know, And, and so on and so forth. You go through his, his years at Real. The first year, he was sensational. Then he started to have injury problems. And it's hampered him. It really has hampered him. Such a gifted footballer. But injuries are just the worst thing going. If they can keep him fit, he can lead them to top four. He's He is that good. But they need to add some pieces in the summer. Get a bit more durable. Hopefully Gabaman can feature next season and be a factor because he's really, really good. And he could add quite a lot to that team. If they can get a good starting starter in midfield, a good goalkeeper, and it has to be a good goalkeeper. It can't be another Pickford. And a good right back. Everton are moving in the right direction. It's just taking some time. And, and that's natural. When you start at the low point they were at when Carlo took over, it is absolutely natural. Uh, Fulham nil, Manchester City 3, last game of Saturday. Fairly rudimentary run-of-the-mill win for City, if we're being honest. John Stones, Gabby Jesus and Sergio Aguero with the goals. They dominated possession. They dominated the chances. Uh, the penalty was a penalty without question. Uh, Tosin with a very silly moment where he tried to do some weird step over, got caught in the ball. And pulled down Phil Foden and then tried to blame somebody else for his mistake. Um, yeah, City were, were comfortable. Gabby Jesus could have had another couple of goals. Ariola made some decent saves in the game. I saw maybe the worst shout I've seen. Um, Jack Pitbrook, the journalist for the Athletic, suggesting that uh, 
Scott Parker could be a contender for manager of the year. They're 18th. With that squad, they're 18th. And they're 18th because of him. Not in spite of him. He He's not a good manager. At all. And he looks ridiculous wearing two coats. But to suggest him as a manager of the year is absolutely ridiculous. And buys into something I'll talk about in a minute that has been suggested about a media bias. But there's absolutely no case for Scott Parker being manager of the year. None at all. Even if he keeps them up, still not manager of the year because they shouldn't have been in the position to begin with. David Moyes is the manager of the year. Simple as that. On to Sunday. Southampton won Brighton 2. Massive win for Brighton. Big blow for Southampton, obviously, because they they could do with some points. Lewis Dunk put Brighton 1-0 up with uh, a a header that I think Fraser Forster should save from about 15 yards off a corner by Pascal Grouse. Che Adams equalised, found himself in a bunch of space, some comedy defending at the back post by uh, by Danny Welbeck, miscast in in a defensive role at a set piece. Uh, Adams, loads of space, first-time volley, great finish, but defence needs to do better. And then Leandro Trossard, a nice bit of work by Lalana, his second um, contribution to the season, uh, found Danny Welbeck, fairly straightforward, but a nice turn and, and straightforward ball. Welbeck's layoff was good, and Trossard's finish was brilliant. Huge win for Brighton. Much, much needed, but more disappointment for Southampton. It's it's just been a really horrible run for them. This year has not gone at all to plan. Only taken four points since they beat Liverpool uh, back in January. And it's hard to see where the results are going to come from. They've got Bournemouth next in the Cup. Then they get Burnley. A Burnley at home is a game they should win, but Burnley are in much better form than them. West Brom away, again, it's a game they should win, but Big Sam against a team that are going to leave themselves a little bit exposed at the back. Uh, Crystal Palace, again, Hodgie against a team that leaves themselves exposed at the back. Then Leicester, then Liverpool, then Fulham. Leeds and West Ham. Look, they're not in danger of going down. I don't think anyway. I don't think there's any possibility that they that they will be the one to go down. But they do need to turn things around. There, there is a lot of winnable games in that run. Burnley, West Brom, Crystal Palace, they're all games they should win. Uh, Fulham at home is a game they should win. Leeds at home is a game they should win. And if, if this was Southampton from three months ago, you'd absolutely expect them to win those games. But this Southampton are completely devoid of confidence. They don't really seem to have an identity at the moment. It doesn't help that Vestergaard is now playing like Vestergaard, having fooled people early in the season thinking he was something special. He's proven that he he really, really isn't. Uh, Ryan Bertrand looks exhausted at left back, which isn't surprising given the only two fullbacks they seem to own are Walker Peters and Bertrand. And Walker Peters broke down because he was played too much. They've chopped and changed in goal recently. 
Um, McCarthy was the first choice for most of, the, most of the season, was playing really well. They hit this run of form, and he was the one that paid the price. Uh, Ward-Prowse hasn't really impressed in the last couple of months. I do like the look of Diallo. And I think the partnership of him and Ward-Prowse is something that they can move forward with next year. I really like Bednarak, but he's had a rough run of games. I think they need to move to the Bednarak-Salisu partnership. That's going to be their future. Now, I know what they're doing with Vestergaard is they're trying to boost him up so they can sell him in the summer. Find some fool of a club that will give them big money for him based on highlights. Based on hype. Like they did with Lovren. Find find a fool and sell your average centre-back for way over what he's worth while having a better replacement come in and keeping the better centre-back anyway. Um, they they kept Font and so Lovren. They'll keep Bednarak and Selvestigard. They brought in Alderweireld and then Van Dijk. They'll bring in Salisu. Um, there's the bones of something good at Southampton. There really is. I mean, Adams is a good player. Tell is talented and exciting. Armstrong is good. Minamino has fit him well, and I think he'd be worth them keeping if they can agree a fee with Liverpool. They've obviously got Danny Ings to come back. There's question marks over him the contract, how long he wants to stay. I think Danny Ings needs to just accept that maybe Southampton is his level because with the injury problems he's had, I don't know that a top club is going to take a risk on him. And I don't think he's a starter for a top club. I think if you look at the league table, he's not starting for City, he's not starting for United, he's not starting for Leicester, he's not starting for Chelsea. He could maybe start for West Ham, but I mean, they're not they're not the fifth best team in England. They might be fifth in the league based on this season, but nobody believes they're the fifth best team in England. He's not starting for Everton. He's not starting for Tottenham. He's not starting for Liverpool. Maybe he could start for Aston Villa. You know, maybe they go him and Watkins and Grealish across in the front three. Watkins right, Grealish left, him through the middle. He's not starting for Arsenal. I don't know where he would go that would represent a, a better situation than Southampton. Villa or, or West Ham would probably be it. And West Ham... I don't know if it's a better situation because it's such an unstable club. The ownership situation is not great. Moyes has been linked with moves away for the summer. Talked that he could go to Celtic. Talked that Newcastle want him. Villa's probably the one. But I don't think they're going to spend big money on Danny Ings. I think if they're going to spend that money, they'll spend it on Tammy Abraham who they already have an existing relationship with, is much younger than Danny Ings, has had just as many good Premier League seasons. I mean, nobody can classify this as a good season for Danny Ings because he's been injured so often. He had a great year last year, but he was disappointing in his first year at Southampton. Obviously had the injury problems at Liverpool. So I don't know where the big money offers will come uh, come from for him. He's only played 19 games in the Premier League this season. He scored nine goals. Eight goals. Sorry, nine in all competitions. Eight in the Premier League. He had a great season last year. There's absolutely no doubt. 22 goals. Played every single Premier League game. This season has not gone well for Ings. Injuries. Droughts. To me, stay at Southampton. Sign that contract. Stay at Southampton. They absolutely adore you there. 
and you'll be playing and you'll score on a fairly regular basis and they will build the team to suit you. Che Adams and Taki Minamino will do most of your work for you. If they get Genepo playing at anything like his best, he'll be a good provider for you as well. You get Diallo and Ward-Prowse in midfield, Bednarak and Salisu, Walker-Peters and Bertrand. Find a, find a good depth option at both full-back positions. Figure out what you want to do in goal. They own three good goalkeepers. Zangus Gunn's a better goalkeeper than we saw last year. We know McCarthy's good. We know Forrester's decent. He was he was very good a couple of years ago. He was good at Celtic. Um, there's a good squad there. There's something to build off. There's talent. There's young players. There's no reason to throw everything out. There's no reason for Danny Ings to, to up and leave because I don't think he's landing a better situation unless he somehow gets a move to Villa. And I don't see them being in for him. For Brighton... This was a huge win that they badly, badly needed. Takes them above Newcastle, gives them a three-point cushion now on Fulham, and they have a better goal difference, uh, minus seven as opposed to minus 14. That is basically an extra point in their favour. Up next for them, they have Newcastle at home, Manchester United away, Everton at home, Chelsea away, then Sheffield United away. There's winnable games. There's two winnable games there. The other three are very, very tough. United, they're second in the league. Everton pushing for for Europe. Chelsea are fourth. They're all difficult games. But Newcastle at home and Sheffield United away, absolutely must win. Must win games. Can't afford the nonsense that we saw against Villa. Uh, sorry, against Palace and against. Um, West Brom, where they walloped them around the place and couldn't put the ball in the net. Have to start scoring more goals. Simple as that. I still think Brighton will be fine, but they're not out of the danger yet, not even slightly. Um, Leicester 5, Sheffield United nil. As I said earlier, really bad weekend for Sheffield United. Really, really bad weekend for Sheffield United. The man who brought them to the Premier League brought them back to the Premier League, uh, made them sort of everybody's second favourite team last year. I think we all rooted for them. Nice to see a, a newly promoted side come up and do so well. I mean, you know, Bielsa gets so much credit this season. Sheffield United did even better than Leeds when they came up last season. So um, it's a shame. It's a shame that it's ending like this. But a 5-0 defeat, it just, it could have been anything. It really could have been anything. Leicester were rampant in this game. 19 shots, 10 on target. Sheffield United had one shot, none on target. They had 28% of the possession. Aaron Ramsdale, he looked like someone who'd been released after years being held hostage after this game. He just looked completely shook, completely rattled. And the players look a little bit fed up. And it wouldn't surprise me if they were to lose every game the rest of the way. Because that's just how they look at the minute. They look like a team that is right on the verge of just giving up. 14 points in 29 games. It's an absolutely woeful return. They've got Chelsea in the FA Cup. that You'd expect them to go out there. Then it's Leeds away. Arsenal at home. Wolves away. Brighton at home. Tottenham away. It's a horrible run of five games for them. They don't really have 
anything easy left. They've got Palace at home is probably their best chance of a, of a win. They've got Everton away and Newcastle away and Burnley at home. Palace at home is the only game you could look at and say, right, that's a game they could win. Because I think Brighton will just outplay them. They could maybe get a point against Brighton, but I, you don't see much more than four or five points from the rest of the way from them. They're down. Good luck. Enjoy yourselves in the championship. You need some rebuilding. And if you bring in a manager who wants to play 4-4-2 or use wingers, um, you're in bother because there's not a winger in the building. Not a single one. Do not own any wide attackers at all. They've got major questions to answer this summer. Major, major questions to answer this summer. Uh, the talk is that McBurney and Brewster is the front two moving forward. Um, it should work as a little and large combination, but you know you, you probably want to start using them now uh, rather than waiting until next season to try and gel them. You want to really start playing them together now. You probably want to start playing Jaden Bogle now, uh, Max Lowe now. You could probably say goodbye to John Lundstrom. He's not going to resign. Say goodbye to him now. The players that are not going to feature next season should not play another game. Simple as that. You're down or as good as the, the gap is 14 points to Newcastle with nine games left. They've taken 14 points from the first 29 games. They're not taking 14 from the last nine. And their goal difference is minus 34. Second worst in the league. Only uh, West Brom's is worse. That's another point off. So they need to take 15 points from their last nine games just to catch Newcastle. And that's based on Newcastle not taking another point. Newcastle will take a couple of points. Sheffield United are down. It was it was really fun while it lasted, and it ended spectacularly badly. Um, Arsenal 2, Tottenham 1 in the North London derby. This was quite a fun game, I have to say. Eric Lamella scored a, another, like McNeil, this is a contender for goal of the season. A Robana from 16 yards out, through the legs of Tomas Partey, into the bottom corner. Sensational technique, sensational goal. Um, this was the full Lamella, though, because he was sent off later in the game. We'll come to it, but he's, he's capable of brilliance. He is disappointed massively compared to what he should have become. For his talent, he should have become much better. Um, much, much of that is down to the fact he's always been used out of position. Spurs have insisted on playing him in wide roles, and he's not, he's not a wide player. He belongs in central roles. You want to be playing him, ideally, as a 10 behind two strikers. That's where you'll get the most from Eric Lamella. Um, I'd say he's maybe played five games there in his time at, at Tottenham. He'd come on for Youngman's son, um, who went down holding a hamstring. Does not look good. Could potentially mean he's done for the rest of the season or as close to it as, as is worthwhile talking about. Um, so that wasn't ideal for them. Tottenham had started with, with Bale, um, Bale Ali and Son in behind sorry Bale Lucas and Son in behind Harry Kane and that's you know that's the, the group that had, had done so well last weekend 
didn't go so well this weekend. Son got hurt. Bale just didn't look at the races. And Mbelli didn't play well in midfield. Heusberg didn't play particularly well either. They didn't give their defence a whole lot of protection. Um, but look, for, for large parts of the game, Spurs were fine. Odegaard made it 1-1. Um, it was a deflected shot, but it was Odegaard's shot. It was on target, so it's rightly his goal. I think it was originally given as a Toby Alderweireld own goal, but his shot was on target. It was it was the right decision. Um, Arsenal went 2-1 up. Now, this was a penalty. Lacazette scored it. Lacazette had won it, a challenge with Davins and Sanchez, where... Lacazette took a swing at the ball, missed almost completely, sliced across it, sent the ball in one way, and then Sanchez caught him. Lacazette was no longer in control of the ball, nor was he going to be in control of the ball. So it bothers me that this is a penalty. Now, I can see why it is, because obviously it is a foul. But I just, it bothers me that this is a penalty, that this is the thing that defines a North London derby, that this is what wins a game of this magnitude. And um, it's, yeah, it's just, it's disappointing that that's the, that's the winner. Because like I say, Lacazette took the shot. It's going, if it skews off his foot and heads off to the left, he's not going to get to it. He's not in control of it anymore. And the challenge comes in. Now he'd already committed to the challenge and it's a penalty. It just, it doesn't sit right with me. Um, but penalty given, penalty scored. Nice penalty as well by, by Lacazette. And then Lamella got sent off. And he was sent off for... He kind of swatted out at Kieran Tierney. He picked the ball up. Tierney went to press him. And he put his right hand out in sort of a slapping motion. And he caught Tier, uh, Tierney high on the chest. Now, Tierney went down holding his face. Uh, his face wasn't touched. And it was given as a second jello card. Now, it was a second jello rather than a red. So, in that regard, you can't argue too much with the decision. Because it probably was a yellow card worthy offence. If it had been a straight red, I would have had a problem with it. But it's just a bit disappointing for Lamella, who'd scored that great goal, had done pretty well in the game. To then get himself sent off, it is the full Lamella. It's basically what he's become. A player who does one really good thing in a game and then does something rash. But what annoyed me about this was Harry Kane on multiple occasions in this game set out to injure Arsenal players. He he tried that thing where he backs in with no intention to play the ball looking to get the defender to go over him. So he can win a free kick. Um, that needs to be outlawed. And he needs to be sent off the next time he tries it. But his challenge on Gabriel was a disgrace. An absolute disgrace. At first it looks like it's a late shoulder charge. But when you watch it, he has no interest in the ball. His eyes only on the man. He doesn't go shoulder to shoulder. He goes shoulder into back and then he shoves his elbow in as well. It's an outrageous bit of foul play. And nothing was given. He didn't get a yellow card for it. And it didn't get talked about. Lamella got pelters. An accidental slap in the chest. Kane set out to hurt the player. Nothing was said. 
as nothing has been said all season long while he's been doing this. Harry Kane is a remarkably gifted footballer, an incredible goal scorer, super all-round player. But he's dirty. He's a dirty player. And nobody wants to talk about it because he's England's captain. But we can all agree that if this wasn't an English player doing this, there'd be uproar. If that had been, let's say Aubameyang had done that to an English centre-back. Let's say he did it to Ben White or or Harry Maguire. There'd be absolute uproar. And there's been some strife over the weekend on social media regarding an article in The Athletic that painted Mo Salah as a sulking crybaby for not being happy about getting substituted. Didn't mention the tantrums that other Liverpool players, Sadio Mane, James Milner, Jordan Henderson, have had while being substituted. And they were all substituted when playing badly. Well, no, Mane was Crystal Palace. He was actually playing quite well. Was it Burnley away last year? He had a big tantrum. He was playing quite well. But Milner got taken off against West Ham this year because he was playing awful. Had a tantrum. And then calmed himself down when Liverpool scored a couple of seconds later. Henderson got hauled off against United at Old Trafford last year, I think it was, because he was having a stinker. Could have been the year before. He's had multiple stinkers at Old Trafford. It could be any year. But he was hauled off because he was having a stinker and had himself a tantrum. Salah was playing well and got taken off for rest, allegedly. In truth, it was because he wasn't following instructions to chase back 60 yards because he's the only player doing anything in attack and he felt like his talents were better used up there and Klopp had a tantrum and took him off. And Salah went and sat on the bench. He didn't gesticulate, didn't argue with anybody, didn't do anything, just went and sat on the bench. And the Athletic has tried to paint him as a crybaby. Never mentioned the other players doing such things. Um... The Athletic also mentioned in that article how Thiago Alcantara has struggled to adapt to Liverpool's pressing game, ignoring the fact he came from one of the most aggressive pressing teams in Europe at Bayern Munich, and that his pressing numbers this season are actually very, very good in terms of tackles, ball recoveries, interceptions, and every other defensive metric you can measure for a midfielder. Thiago Alcantara is second best at Liverpool behind Fabinho. Better than... James Milner, better than Wijnaldum, better than Henderson. But he's struggling, apparently. Yeah, struggling. So it's been pointed out that, you know, over the years, now this will apply to all clubs, and I'm sure whatever club you, you, you support, have a think about this. The Liverpool players who've been most criticised by... Not all local journalists, and not not all journalists, but certain segments of the local journalism mafia. Ma- uh, Mamadou Sako, Emre Chan, Naby Keita, Daniel Sturridge, 
Mario Balotelli, Mo Salah, Costas Simicus, Fabinho, Thiago, and Salah. They only have two things in common other than being football players. There's rarely criticism of any British player. Adam Lallana was held up as a legend. They pushed the narrative that Jordan Henderson was the footballer of the year last year, despite not being one of the five best players at Liverpool last year. Think about your club and think about the coverage of certain players. I think it's very clear that there is an underlying bias against foreign players in the British media. And I don't think I'm over overstepping the line to say that. You can go back to the archives of certain journalists and you can see this bias in plain view. For years we saw a good foreign midfielder outperform an English midfielder at Liverpool. The English midfielder get hyped to the moon. The foreign midfielder chastised. Raheem Sterling was another one. Raheem Sterling told Liverpool, I do not want to sign a new contract mid-season. I don't want to talk about it. I want to focus on playing. Liverpool offered him a contract anyway. He turned that contract down and told them, I told you, I do not want to talk about my contract until the end of the season. They leaked that to a certain journalist, local journalist, who began to paint a picture of Raheem Sterling as greedy, as wanting to leave. Raheem Sterling didn't want to leave Liverpool. But that journalist, the manager at the time, and the managing director at the time, basically turned the fan base against him and forced him out the door and then painted him as greedy as if he hadn't left more money on the table he could have signed for more money at Liverpool than what he took when he went to Man City now I'm sure the bonuses and all that at City are, are bigger but the basic wage he's on at City is lower than what Liverpool offered him and yet he's painted as greedy, he's painted as a snake, he's been booed endlessly. That was a young player still trying to figure out, you know, life as an adult. And there was a media campaign against him. There was no media campaign when James Milner joined Liverpool purely because he, we offered him the most money. This is the only reason James Milner signed for Liverpool was because they offered him by far the most money. City offered him 90 grand a week plus bonus. Arsenal offered him similar. Liverpool offered him 150. 150 grand a week for James Milner. 7.5 million a year, five-year contract, 7.5 million signing on fee. He's since been given an extension for this season and next. Likely it's slightly more money because naturally it would be 10% more. So it should be 165 grand a week. Now he may have just gotten 
the same money again. He hasn't taken less. But Liverpool will have paid James, James Milner close to £60 million in wages. And nobody has ever painted him as being greedy. Why is that? It's the same reason that Harry Kane doesn't get criticised when he tries to injure players. But certain other players do when they don't. Final game of the weekend was Manchester United 1, West Ham 0. This game was very one-sided. Disappointing from West Ham again, as they were against Liverpool. Moyes changed the, the system and the shape. And really just gifted the win to United. Uh, didn't really tr- challenge them at all. United played some good football. I thought Rashford and Greenwood uh, combined really, really well. It was good to see Rashford back. Uh, had The ankle injury was meant to keep him out, but he was back and he played quite well. Uh, Bruno Fernandes' corner was turned into his own net by Craig Dawson, who played in the middle of a back three and did not look comfortable at all. Um, Issa Diop, I thought, dealt quite well with Rashford for the most part. But West Ham really struggled to get any kind of foothold in midfield. And frankly, I would put that on David Moyes. The decision to play uh, Mark Noble was just nonsensical. But look, West Ham will be happy enough. They're still fifth. They still have an outside shot of the Champions League. They should get in in the European positions. They've got West, uh, sorry, they've got Arsenal at home next, then Wolves away, then Leicester City at, at home. Newcastle away and Chelsea at home. It's a tough run, but it is a run they should win at least two games from and pick up a couple of other draws. That will put them in a really good position when they head into their last five because their last five is quite favourable. I think it is looking more and more like they will finish um, in the European positions. It would be, I think, quite disappointing from here if they didn't. Now, look, anything in the top half is, is a great result for Moyes. No matter where they finish in the top half, that is absolutely fantastic. And I think they could probably stop playing now and have still have an outside and still sorry, still have a good shot at finishing in the top half. But I, I, do, I do think they'll win a couple more games. If they get to 60 points, that would be a huge accomplishment, and that should get them European football. Um For United, second in the league, they were briefly overtaken by Leicester, but took their spot back. Uh, Up next for them, they've got Milan in the second leg of the Europa League, then Leicester in the FA Cup. And then it's Brighton at home, Spurs away, Burnley at home, Leeds away, and Liverpool at home. So tough enough run. But there's at least three games in there they'll expect to win. Spurs away and Liverpool at home will will be the toughest of those games. But United's home form has been poor. That's the only thing really counting against them at the moment. Their home form has been very poor this season. Um, so their away games are, are Spurs and, and Leeds. They'll probably win those games and lose the three home games based on what they've done this season. Uh, there has been reports that Oli is, is in talks to, to sign a new contract at $9 million a year, apparently. Um, sensational stuff for Oli, if that's what he can pull off. But look, a good win over a team challenging for top four. United will be happy. And they finished the weekend in, uh, in second spot, 14 points behind City. But 
look, nobody's catching City. The title's over, title's done. Uh, the bottom two are done. So it's basically just who gets top four and who finishes 18th now from here on out. We'll leave it at that. There is one game tonight, Liverpool against Wolves at Molyneux, 8pm kickoff. Should be a good game of football. Uh, uh, hopefully Liverpool can bring their form from the Leipzig game into this one and not the form from their domestic games. Uh, if they do, they should win the game. I expect them to win the game. I'd be disappointed if they don't. That's it. That's the show. It's a little bit long. Apologies for that. Take care of yourselves. Goodbye. Podcast Network.